0: to see you. Welcome to part two of God's plan for your well-being. Want you to join with me. Let's welcome the other Kingsgate centres: Cambridge, London, Leicester. New season, new location. Fantastic, you're joining us today. Last week we laid a foundation and looked at the whole thing. That if we are going to see well-being in every area of our lives, we need to approach this subject holistically. What do I mean by that? I mean that we have a number of different related areas in our lives. We've got the physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, vocational, and financial. If you imagine having a life dashboard, uh, you can actually look at your life and ask the Holy Spirit to show you where are you at right now. And the goal of this series is that, uh, you know, six, seven weeks' time, all of us will have moved on in every area of our lives on a journey of increasing well-being. How many are up for that? Increase well-being. That's what we want to see. But before we look at each of these six areas a week at a time, um, I want to cover something today that is critical and foundational to all the all the rest. I want to look today at the importance of our thinking, our perspectives, and our mindset. Talking of uh, uh, increased uh, perspective, um, I had for those of you who are reading in the. Um, devotional, you're in groups and you're going through the book and you haven't cheated by reading ahead, you'll read on day one uh, that I had a kind of defining moment, actually it was at 10 Downing Street and as I was there, it actually had nothing to do with the Prime Minister, it had everything to do with a conversation that I was engrossed in uh, with a fellow church leader, in fact I was so engrossed in the conversation I didn't even notice the Prime Minister come in the room. And um, as we were talking, my, my friend was actually sharing about how he and his wife were going through a major ministry transition. It was producing a lot of stress and pressure in their lives. And the only way they were getting through, first was through the help of a spiritual director, and the second was input from a Christian psychologist. And as he was talking, I thought, well, I'm not in a crisis season, but hey, Prevention is better than cure. So I hooked up with both these guys and have really been connecting regularly. Two things have happened. Firstly, meeting with the spiritual director has helped me grow spiritually even more. How many know there's always more with God? But then the other thing is Karen and I have been connecting with this Christian psychologist in a way that I wasn't anticipating. He's actually begun to help me unravel some things and gain healthier perspectives and develop what I call a well-being mindset. You know, when we actually have problems going on in our minds, it affects everything else. See, when you become a Christian, one of the amazing things that happens is the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. I've said for years, uh, you know, being a Christian, the problem is not with the fella in the cellar, the problem is with the fanatic in the attic. Have you realized that? You know, if if our thinking is... It, it, it is out of line, then, then it causes a lot of stress. And we can easily lose perspective. I mean, you know, Liverpool keep winning. I tell you, it causes me to lose perspective every single, every single weekend. But the, the reality is we can all lose perspective. And it's the air of our mind or our thinking where much of the battle takes place. The a Christian counselor and author Selwyn Hughes put it this way, to win the battle of the mind is to win in one of the greatest areas of life. It is said that no real change can take place until a person's thinking is changed. Let me read that again. No real change can take place until a person's thinking is changed. So before we look at the different areas of well-being, it's vital that we actually look at this whole issue of our mind and our mindset, because as our mindset gets healthier, so it spills over into every other area of our lives. And what we're going to do over this series, starting today, is we're going to use the uh, story of the Old Testament prophet Elijah as kind of an example of a journey of well-being. His story is found in the books of 1 Kings, starting in chapter 17, going through to uh, 2 Kings, chapter 2. And given we're going to be looking at Elijah's story over the next few weeks, I thought I'd put together in diagrammatic form something, if you like, the helicopter view of the whole Elijah story. Some of you may never even have heard of Elijah. Some of you may have read it before. But I just want to give us an overall perspective. Elijah's story is filled with some amazing highs and a very, very low point of burnout. So, So let me give you a quick snapshot. Firstly, Elijah, if you like, bursts into the scene at the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 17. If you like, full of incredible faith and power... He prophesies things, they come to pass. God supernaturally provides for him. He even raises somebody from the dead. It's absolutely stunning. And then his ministry has, his early ministry has a high point when literally he goes up to Mount Carmel and in the name of Yahweh um, sees a fantastic total victory against the prophets of Baal. All looks to be going well. And then his life hits a sudden and surprising low. He gets um, a a word of fear, if you like, a threat from his arch enemy, um, Queen Jezebel. And as a result of that word of fear, he literally runs 100 miles in fear. How many think running 100 miles, if you're afraid, is a long way to run? It sounds exhausting, just the thought of it, doesn't it? Anyway, he runs 100 miles. He ends up in the desert. And he is completely and utterly done. He's he's finished as far as he's concerned. But when he was finished, God wasn't finished with him. So God lovingly sends an angel to him and says, Elijah, you're not done. The angel encourages him to get up, cooks him a meal, calls him to go to another mountain, this time Mount Horeb which is also known as Mount Sinai, or the mountain of God. Elijah goes on a 40-day journey, say 40 days, that's another long journey. He gets to the mountain, has a fresh encounter with God, and then God replenishes him, restores him, recommissions him, and sends him back, and he has a final 10 years of ministry during which he does critical things like raising up a successor, a guy called Elisha, who continues his ministry. And then the story in Two Kings ends with Elijah not dying, but being miraculously transported to heaven. How many think the the boy did all right? I mean, what a story. I mean, you know, it's better than a Hollywood movie, isn't it? So much action. And it really happened. But I love the fact the Elijah story doesn't even end there because over 900 years later, we see him popping up on another mountain, this time on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Jesus Christ himself. What an amazing, amazing story. The point is that God takes a long-term view of Elijah's story. But what we're going to focus on in this series, particularly, is 1 Kings 19. And look at what happened to this guy Why did this amazingly anointed man of God suddenly hit burnout? And what did God do to lovingly restore and replenish him and bring him back to a place of well-being? And central to Elijah's crash was a loss of perspective. Elijah had completely lost perspective. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at what went wrong for Elijah What God did to bring him back on track. And in this message today, I want to focus on this whole thing of mindset. How can we develop a well-being mindset? Three, Three principles or three keys. Number one, first principle to a change of perspective, to a healthy mindset is this. Know who you really are. Why didn't we say that together? Know who you really are. Who do you think you are is not just... Uh, the title of a long-running BBC series where celebrities check out their ancestry. Who do you think you are, I believe, is a critical life question that you and I all need to find the right answer to. So here's the thing. This is absolutely foundational. If you and I don't know who we really are, we're not really sure about our identity, or we've got a wrong view, an inaccurate view of our identity, that that alone will, can mess up and affect well being in every other area of our lives. You see, if you don't know who you really are, then it can leave you open just to every silly thought and insecure thought you have on a day. It can leave you open to just what others say about you, particularly if it's not positive. And then we add in things like social media. Now, I think social media is, is broadly positive, And you're going to be very blessed if you're following me on social media. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, the, the point is that, you know, you may be having a good day. And then, then you kind of, you look on social media. And if you're feeling insecure, you can get into that horrible comparison trap of looking at everybody else. And before you know it, you've lost all sense of a well-being mindset. You know, th- th- this stuff doesn't help. Comparison can be deadly, Um, so much so that apparently Instagram are trialing in certain countries, removing the likes of posts and people's account because all that comparison stuff was messing up people's sense of identity and well-being. So it's really important that we are secure in our identity in knowing who we are. See, sometimes we think, well, if my circumstances change, then I will feel better. Now, how many of you, oh, oh it's good, isn't it, to have circumstantial change? Because I'd like to tell you, the circumstantial outward change doesn't guarantee a well-being mindset or that you're going to enjoy well-being in your life. In fact, can I say, sometimes success and material prosperity and fame can actually make someone more vulnerable to meltdown, not less. I mean, take Justin Bieber, for example, you know, uh, amazing kind of world rock star, you know, came into it, you know, really young, grew up, the fame and whatever obviously uh, messed with his head. He ended up hitting rock bottom, getting into drugs. I saw a a headline just recently saying how he's begun to get uh, restored and he's coming back to a good place. A great headline said this, Justin Bieber credits God for saving him from addiction and severe depression. So he had all the stuff, but he needed God. And a quote from Bieber himself, "This is not the Bible, but it is a good quote. He says, "We have the greatest healer of all, and his name is Jesus Christ, and He really heals." Isn't that great? Come on. In a recent post to his 118 million Instagram followers, he says this: "Jesus loves you. Be kind today, be bold today. And love people today, not by your standards, but by God's perfect, unfailing love. That's a, that's a great exhortation, isn't it? Love yourself, love others, not by your standards, by the standard of God's perfect, unfailing love. So, from Justin Bieber, let's return to Elijah. Can I say they're not, a, they're not at all alike? But one of the keys to the strength and the power and the confidence, if you like, of Elijah's early ministry that we, that we see in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, almost like a, a key undergirding these victories, was he, amazingly, 900 years before Jesus Christ, was very confident and secure in his identity and his relationship with God. You see that. There's like a, there's like a supernatural boldness that enables him to face great adversity. In fact, his very name conveyed this sense of identity in his relationship with God. The the word, the name Elijah literally is Eliah, which means the Lord is my God. How many think that's a great name? So every time his name was called, it means the Lord is my God, the Lord is my God. But when we look at 1 Kings 19 and we look at him in the desert... This man, full of confidence, full of a sense of his identity, actually completely lost perspective and he forgot who he really was. We read here, it says, Lord, I've had enough, he said, take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. Now we don't know anything about his ancestors, but can I tell you, Eli- Elijah, know, you are better than your ancestors, God has called you, you're a man of God, your identity is secure in your relationship with God, but in his depleted state, he had forgotten who he really was. So what about us? How many know it's possible to be a Christian and either not know your true identity or forget it or lose sight of it? But the reality is, is that much as uh, Elijah was secure in his identity and relationship with God, If you are a Christian, the Bible says that you are born again. You're a child of God. And your whole identity is not determined by your past. It's not determined first and foremost by what you think of yourself or other people say or think about you. You don't have to go down the plug hole of comparison because God says, you are my son. You are my daughter. You're a child of God. That is your true identity. That changes everything. I don't know about you, but... I've known this for many years. I've even written books on this stuff. But over the last two and a half, three years, the Lord's taken me on a journey of a deeper revelation of God's love and my identity in Him. You see, if you'd asked me two and a half years ago, that kind of time when I um, started connecting with this spiritual director and this Christian psychology, if you'd asked me a question, does God love you? i said, say, absolutely loves me. It's been a foundation of my life since I've been a Christian. But what I've realized is that with God, even when we think we're doing well, there's so much more good stuff. There's never an end of how much He wants to reveal His love and His goodness to us. One of the things that really helped me was in those sort of early days, the, the sort of spring of 2017, I started reading a book and there were three key chapters that had a real influence on me. And each, each week... There was like a little portion of the, the Bible to meditate on. Every day was around the theme of the love of God. And they were scriptures that I'd read about before. Can I say I knew about them to a, to a measure. But as I started meditating on. And as the Holy Spirit started revealing more. God started doing a, trans, a transformation in my life. Week one. This was the title of week one. God loves you. Week two. God really loves you. <laughs> week three. God really, really loves you. So that's a bit simple, isn't it? But I tell you, it is so, so profound. Can I say, God loves you. God really loves you. God really, really loves you. We get it? You see, we need not only to be reminded of that, I believe the Holy Spirit, part of this foundational message on our mindset, God wants us wherever we are on our Christian journey. If you're just starting out, to whether like me you've been on the the journey for decades, God wants to give us a fresh revelation of who we are in Him and His love for us. That transforms our minds and affects every other area of our life. God really, really loves you. Added blessing for me as I was going on this journey was... I was just reminded that my name, David, means beloved. So I spent a few months just, w- you know, wake up in the morning, say, hey boy, you're beloved. <laughs> Look in the mirror, beloved. Now, can I say, your name doesn't need to be David. It could be Norman, could be <laughs> Simon, could be Matthew, could be Jill, could be. Um, and it could be Rebecca, I want to tell you, no matter what your natural name means, I want to tell you, because you are in, if you're a Christian, you are in Jesus, the beloved son, that means you are beloved in the beloved. It's powerful, powerful stuff. Now, if you are um, going through the devotionals, you know, uh, day two, I actually have written down a little kind of in Christ declaration that I sometimes say of myself. Why Why do we need to say these things and say them out loud? Because often our minds need renewing and reminding of the truth. And even if we know it, God wants to take it to another level. And if you don't know who you are in Christ, and if you not even sure about your relationship with God, then at the end of our services, we're going to pray and give an opportunity to make sure. This is the first foundational key to developing a well-being mindset. Know who you really are. The second, though, is this. It's like the other side of the coin. Know where you're really at. Can we say that together? Know where you're really at. You see, the more secure that you are and I are in our position in Christ, the more we can be open and honest and vulnerable about how we're actually doing. How are we doing, if you like, in terms of the dashboard of our lives? And it's vital that we're honest and we're increasingly self-aware because owning where we're at, knowing where we are is the key to being able to move forward. Um, You probably know that Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the key foundations for um, alcoholics getting free from their addiction is actually to own the fact, I have a problem with alcohol, you know, I'm an addict. And actually, that's 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 not a negative declaration, that's just being honest about where they're actually at. That's not going to define me, but I have a real problem with alcohol, therefore, in Christ, I can move forward. And people who are not Christians find, you know, even just the power of a recognition of where that helps them move forward. We run a course called Celebrate Recovery here in Kingsgate, Peterborough. And, you know, same principle applies. People getting free from hurts, habits, hang-ups. One of the starting places is as well as knowing that we're beloved and in Christ, it's an acknowledgement, yes, I have a, a problem here. And in acknowledging that to oneself to God and to others in a group is one of the keys to freedom. And it's so important that we, we actually allow the Holy Spirit to show us where we're re- really at. Because if we're not sure where we're really at, or can I say if we think things are fine, let's say, for example, you may think, well, I think I'm doing fine in there. I think I may be nearly green. But actually, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're in the amber heading towards the red zone. We're going to have a problem. Take Elijah, for example. You see, this is, this is why I think it's such an instructive story. Here he is at the end of 1 Kings 18, this sort of high point of his ministry. Everything about his life looks strong. He's just won one of the most incredible victories in the whole Bible, calling down fire from heaven, displaying the goodness and the, 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 the victory of God over uh, the, the enemies of God the, the, and the prophets of Baal. He prays. For rain to come, and God answers his prayer. The Holy Spirit comes on him. And while King Ahab is on in his chariot, Elijah, like, is this a man or is this superman? comes whizzing past him under the power of the Spirit. So there's nothing there that would tell us here's a man who's about to go to have burnout. But well, I believe something must have been going on in Elijah's life. I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of reading in a little bit, but I think he must have been overdoing it. I think maybe the spiritual intensity of that battle, can I say when you fight against and win against 400 prophet, uh, 450 prophets a bear, that's going to have an, a mental, emotional and spiritual toll. He's doing a lot physically. And so something was happening. He was obviously outwardly doing fine. The ministry was going great. But inwardly, he was vulnerable. And therefore, he was vulnerable to one of the most insidious weapons that can come against us. And it was the weapon of fear. In Elijah's case, it was a threat from his archenemy, Queen Jezebel. And then, interesting what Jezebel did. She doesn't go and try and kill Elijah. That would have been hugely unpopular. He was the national hero at the time. Instead, she threatened. She gave him an intimidating words. Do you know, words of fear, whether they are spoken audibly or whether they're in our minds. Do you know that fear can rob us of our mental well-being like nothing else? It's true. We need to recognize that that, 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 that is a, a tactic of um, the enemy. And so it's, it's like he's vulnerable because he's been overdoing it. He's therefore more open to, the, to an attack of fear. By the way, this is the same Elijah who uh, a couple of chapters earlier was boldly confronting King Ahab. So the situation hasn't changed. Elijah's just changed. The fear comes... And then as a result of the fear, he spirals down, he completely loses perspective, he ends up even more burnt out, and if we, if we did a, a, a dashboard, a look at the dashboard of Elijah's life in the desert, every area would have been in the red zone. Physically, he was exhausted. Emotionally, he was completely burnt out. Spiritually, he felt defeated. Um, vocationally, he's, he, 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 was, he, was, he was ready to quit. Relationally, he was isolated because he sent the one person who could have helped him, his servant, away. And he's in a desert, literally, no provision. What's amazing to me is how somebody so anointed can, can get hit so much. And so the question is, how, how could somebody do that? Can I say there's no suggestion that he's even in sin? Now, as I've looked at this story, it's sobering to me. I mean, both in my own life and I've seen Christian leaders, sometimes, you see, we can attend to one area of our life like the spiritual and think, because I'm praying, everything's going to be fine. But if we neglect our body or if we're not healthy in our relationships or our mind, all these areas work together. We need to realize that God loves us and he wants to us to be well in every area of our lives. Amen. And that's, that, that's what we see going on here. Why was Elijah able to hit burnout so so quickly? I love what James says in James 5, uh, verse 17, New Testament writer. He said, because Elijah was a human being just like us. How many human beings am I talking to today? How many know that life can be going great and you can just run out of steam? Or is it just me? You see, as I look back at my life, thankfully, I've never hit burnout. I've got no plan to go there either. But I have had at least three key seasons where, uh, if you like, my tanks were getting seriously low. First one was when we came to start Kingsgate, uh, our first four years in Peterborough, combination of all kinds of stuff that I won't... um, remind you of, but as a result, Karen and I were almost permanently exhausted, and we had to go to God and say, Lord, teach us how in in a massively pressured season, how can we learn rhythms of replenishment, including things like taking Sabbath and attending to our physical well-being, so that we could just keep going through that tough season. I'm grateful for that time as I look back. The second, if you like, most pressured, depleted season was um, after we had... Built the building in, in, in Peterborough. We moved in. And the pressure of the previous two years, the battle for the land, all that was happening. And then we moved in and we started growing fast. And I want to tell you, I was again getting seriously depleted. And so again, had to make some more changes. And many of those changes still living in the good of. And then 2016, the third kind of season that I can remember. Nothing was particularly going wrong. Karen and I, you know, we weren't in a a bad place. but We turned to one another and just said, we feel tired. I'm not just talking about we'd had a bad night's sleep. Like there was just some long-term tiredness. And again, the Lord started teaching us how to put things in place. I don't know where you're at, but... You're a human being like Elijah, like me. And that means we have to be aware of the fact that if we don't take stock of our lives and we, we're not kind of alert to this thing of our dashboard and we don't stop things that are depleting us and put in replenishing activities just by breathing and not doing anything, your tanks can go down. Have you noticed? And then there's the whole issue of fear. You see, there are many things that, if you like, can cause a hole. Uh, to open up in in the tanks of our life. But I think fear is one of the worst. It was for Elijah. Now, I wouldn't consider myself a naturally fearful person. But one of the keys to, if you like, increasing freedom and well-being that I've experienced over the last two and a half years was the Lord making me aware of like a deep-rooted, long-term fear that I'd only been partly aware of in the past. You see... By natural personality and uh, natural wiring, I'm kind of, I'm like an achiever. That's part of my kind of redemptive gift. But can I say with every strength can come a weakness. And so along with that kind of, uh, uh, that personality of achiever comes a proneness and a weakness to being, as it were, derailed by a fear of failure. And what the Holy Spirit started showing me was, although he'd redeemed a lot of that, just how much still... That fear of failure was messing up and affecting my mind and my sense of emotional well-being. It wasn't like it was affecting every day of my life. But how many of you know that God doesn't just want us a little bit free. He wants us fully free and free indeed. And so part of the link between what I shared earlier on this deeper revelation of the love of God, do you know there's one thing that deals with fear like nothing else? It's the foolproof way to get free from fear. 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out all fear. And as I've been just as it were basking afresh in that greater revelation of my identity and the fact that I'm beloved, I've experienced greater freedom from fear. And I say that because I believe for some of you here, there may be things like fear that's causing you uh, to be depleted. Can I say, right at the start of this series, take an honest inventory of where you're at. <laughs> Look at the dashboard of your life. Think, think and say, Holy Spirit, show me where I'm really at. H- help me to see what might be causing depletion. And then here's another key. Start learning to be honest, not just with yourself and God, but with others in your group or close friends. Uh, the pastor Rick Warren talks about the importance of us being open with others I love this quote he says don't repress it confess it don't conceal it reveal it revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing that's so true so first key to developing a well-being mindset know who you really are secondly know where you're really at and third this let's say this together know that you can really change. Let's say that. Know that you can really change. See, it's one thing to identify where we're at, but sometimes we can almost get paralyzed with a sense of, yeah, but I've been like that all my life. Or I've, I've tried to change in this area, and sometimes even at the thought of, oh, no, we're doing a whole week on that, are we? And we can almost get paralyzed by a sense of, we can't change, we can't, we can't break through. But I can tell you in Jesus' name, you can break through. Know that you can really change. So this, this sort of mindset that I believe it's important we go into, and as we look at these areas, go in with a positive change mentality. So how do I do that? Well, firstly, by adopting what the psychologist Carol Dweck calls a growth mindset. She did studies of both, particularly of children, but also adults too. And notice that Where there were people who had even a modest natural abilities, if they had like a growth mindset which said, I know that I'm not fixed, I'm not capped, I can move on, I can develop, they generally succeeded in life and experienced great development and change. But she also noticed others... Sometimes they, have, they were of high ability, but if they had a fixed mindset rather than the growth mindset, that capped how much they were going to make progress. Here's the point. If we are going to see an increase of well-being, we need a can-do attitude or a growth mindset, which is saying, I can break through in Jesus' name. Amen? I'm not stuck. That's, that, that's, the, that's the first thing. Um, m- many years ago, um, in fact, it was, I think it was three or four seasons ago, uh, we witnessed in, 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 in this country one of the greatest sporting achievements ever. It was actually when Leicester City won the Premier League as 5,000 to 1 outsiders. Now they had some good players. One of them is now paying for Man City. <laughs> um, but they didn't have the stars that some of the more famous, richer clubs had. What they did have was a can-do attitude. Listen to a quote from one of the players, Mark Albrighton. He said, we, this was at the time, he says, We've got that never-say-die attitude. I think that's won us a lot of points this season. It wasn't just brilliance, it was a can-do attitude. In other words, they maximized their gifts through a can-do attitude. There's something else going on for them. And it's something we need to adopt too. It was also a tremendous sense of team ethics and camaraderie and spurring one another on. To quote the captain of the team, Wes Morgan, he said, I've never known a spirit like the one between these boys. We're like brothers. How many know that if we're going to break through and we're going to change, we can internally have a can-do attitude but there's something about when we come together with others and we're in groups and we're in friendship circles and we're spurring one another on giving one another high five you know saying come on you can do it you can break through we encourage one another we challenge one another and we spur one another on to love and good deeds amen so there's yeah come on so there's a can-do yeah you can come on come on let's cheer one another on so there's a can-do attitude, there's a camaraderie. But as Christians, we have something that the best football teams and anybody else out there, we have, we have a, if you like, a third and vital component to a change mindset. In fact, we have a person who is here rooting for us. You see, if we go back to Elijah, he was so down that his can-do at- attitude <laughs> had evaporated, he literally had given up and was suicidal. That's pretty low, do you agree? He also didn't have a small group there in the desert. In fact, in his, in, his, in his crazy lost perspective state, he dismissed his servant, the one guy who might have been able to stand with him. So he's there, he's lost his can-do attitude, he's got nobody, he thinks he's done, but can I tell you, It's not over till God says it's over. God sees the end from the beginning. He saw the fact that Elijah had another 10 years. He saw that Elisha needed to be trained. He saw that Elijah was gonna be transported to heaven and he knew ahead of time that Elijah was gonna be one of the great heroes of the faith and he's gonna show up with Jesus and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. So God didn't leave him there. God sent an angel to him and I love what the angel does. The angel comes to this guy who's completely done and says this, two little words. Get up. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't preach a sermon to him. Get up. Then he says again, get up. And I love what it says. So he, Elijah, got up. (laughs) The power of God's word. And in Elijah's case, It was an external visitation from an angel. And of course, angels still exist and they appear today. But can I, can I suggest to you, we don't have to wait for angels. If you're a Christian here today, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you 24-7, no matter what you're going through, no matter where, where you're at, whether you're doing great and you just need to see an increase of well-being or whether you're near or, or ready to bu- r- near burnout, the Holy Spirit wants to say to you, get up, you can change, you can grow, you can move on in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Aren't you glad that we have the great helper, the great encourager? The great counselor living on the inside. It reminds me of how when I was uh, in primary school, um, th- as far as I can remember, it was the first competitive race I ever ran. It was 800 meters, which is a long, a long way for, I don't know, a nine-year-old. And so I, I was kind of what I call a runner of modest ability. Okay, but not like, you know, not, not top of the chart. So halfway round the, the, the race, we'd been running about 400 meters. I was like middle of the pack. There were loads of people ahead of me, quite a few people behind me. And I suddenly thought, do you know, I can run a bit faster than this. And so I started running faster. And as I did, I started, I thought, this is fun. I started overtaking runner after runner after runner. And I started getting a bit of wind behind myself. And as I started entering a key corner in the race, suddenly I started hearing from the sidelines these words, Come on, boy! Come on, boy, you can do it. And I recognized it was the voice of my dad who was watching. He had a nickname for me, Scouty. He said, come on, Scouty. Come on, boy, you can do it. And as I started hearing those, those words, the, the pace that had already been increasing, suddenly, I, it's like my legs got turbocharged. And I started, you know, like in an impression of Superman. <laughs> No, seriously, I started overtaking, runner after runner after runner. And I I just got to the line, and I was like that far behind the top runner in the school. I'd way excelled myself. It was the greatest race of my life. I collapsed over the line. And do you know why I did it? it? Partly because I thought, I can do better. But secondly, it was the voice of my dad on the sign line saying, come on, my son. You can do it. You can make it all the way home. And I want to tell you that God is our heavenly father, greater than any earthly dad, and he is here to cheer you on. He say, know who you really are. You're my son, you're my daughter, you're my beloved. Let me help you see where you're really at, and I want to spur you on. You can change, you can make it all the way. Or in the words of Jesus, um, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen, amen, and amen. Father, we want to thank you so much for your goodness and your love and your presence and your purposes. Thank you that you're here to cheer us on. Reveal yourself to us. Set us free. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.